Hey there, get ready for another episode of Insights with Soup, the church, Ephesus. Blessings abound, my brother and my sister. This is Superintendent Janice Battersby from Shekinah Worship Center, Bermuda, greeting you one more time for another installation of Insights with Soup. It's a podcast by myself, Superintendent Janice Battersby of the Sunday School at Shekinah Worship Center, Bermuda. I greet you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're doing an awesome study called Escape the Coming Night by Dr. David Jeremiah of Shadow Mountain Church in California, USA. It's an amazing study through the book of Revelation. And we're actually, this week, we've just completed lesson five. So I thought I'd just spend a few minutes giving you just an oversight of what we studied. We've had a great time getting into the word and the book of Revelation, and it's only chapter two. <laughs> Last week, we were reading through chapter one, and we got a vision of Christ in all his attributes, in all his glory. We'd known him as a baby in a manger. We'd known him as savior on a cross, but we got to learn about who he is in all his majesty, his attributes, what he looked like in all his glory. We understand that the disciple John was put in prison on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And while on that island, he received this marvelous vision, not just of Christ, but of the day of the Lord, meaning when the Lord will have his way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John got to see the prophecies of God being manifested before they've even gotten there. We haven't even gotten there yet, but the signs of those times are definitely showing. So tonight, we did lesson five of this series, and the lesson was called Losing Our First Love. And our focus was on one of the seven churches in the second chapter of the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus. Now, many of us that have been in the church know, oh, that's the church that lost its first love. We know that by root. The beauty of this lesson and the way Dr. Jeremiah taught it was that we got to learn about Ephesus in a way that we've never heard. One thing that Dr. Jeremiah sets forth right at the very beginning, and I'll repeat it a few times through these insights, is that as we study each one of these seven churches that the Apostle John spoke to and wrote letters to, we've got to understand them, these letters, in three distinct ways. The first way is their primary association. John was on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which was very, very close to Asia Minor. And he had a relationship with these churches that were in these cities. And the churches were the church at Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos, the church in Thyatira, the church in Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, and the church of Laodicea. Seven churches. 
Each one of them had certain characteristics. And each one of them is addressed in this book of Revelation prior to the wrath of God being poured out, which John sees visions of later. These letters aren't to the, the pagans. These letters were to the churches that had just been started. This is after Christ had arisen and went into heaven. The apostles went out to spread the gospel and to start churches to turn people to Christ. And these were young churches, new churches. But John was hearing about certain things that were going on and he had to address them through the vision of the Lord. So tonight we learned about the church at Ephesus. We understand these letters in their primary association. We also get to understand them in personal application. As we learn about these characteristics of these churches, we have to turn the searchlight inward. We're going to hear things about each of these churches, which quite frankly, if we think about individuals, we can say, I know that a person like that, that person's like that, that person's like that. But do we say that about ourselves? We're going to see different issues that we see in churches today, in people today in churches. We're, we're thinking specifically about the churches and the different personalities and characteristics of the people in those churches what makes them and what breaks them. But we've also got to look at it within ourselves. Can we really turn the searchlight inward and be honest about our characteristics and our traits? We learned last week, Jesus has fiery eyes and he sees through all the show, the mask, the put on, even the words that we say, he sees the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And so that's what's going to be happening as we study these churches. And it's important that we make it a personal application. Not pointing fingers, is it me? That's the question to ask. Or the statement, this is me, and how do I get it right? And then finally, we're gonna study these churches in their prophetic anticipation. The chronological development of the church age from the ascension of Christ to right now, 2021, the year that we're living in, we get to see the development and the manifestation of biblical prophecy in how the church comes through the ages. So again, we're going to start off with the church at Ephesus. Now, this church, we are told, was the most prominent city in Roman Asia Minor at that time. It was a religious and commercial center cosmopolitan and cultured. It had so many different religions and, and thoughts and ways of life. And today we call that diversity. It was so diverse from one end of the spectrum to the other. It was a huge commercial center, but it also had people who were not a very good reputation living there as well. It was home to one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana, which was the center of immorality. But there was a bank and an art gallery there as well. 
The Apostle Paul established a church in Ephesus on his second missionary journey and then spent three years there. In fact, the book of Ephesus is a letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Now, Jesus, in addressing these seven churches, takes one of the attributes that we learned about in chapter one and applies a particular attribute to that particular church that needed it. For example, he was the first and the last who was dead and came to life. He uses that to the church at Smyrna, who was suffering, who was dealing with persecution. It's like how we, when we have problems and we want to talk to somebody who's been there and done that, who knows what it feels like and who also knows how they got out of it. Jesus identifies with each one of these churches through his attributes. So as we looked at the church of Ephesus, we learned five different things that made this a five-star church. It was a dynamic church. They were a busy, working, dynamic congregation doing the work of the Lord. We learned about how they worked till they were almost exhausted. They had a love within their hearts. They were on fire for the Lord. There was nothing that they would not do. And that's kind of like how we started off our Christian life. We were energetic. We were so happy to do whatever we were asked to do. We wanted to serve. That makes a pastor excited to have a people that just couldn't wait for the doors to open. Wanted to sit up front. Anything that needed to be done, they were ready to do it. It was a dedicated church. They worked to the point of exhaustion. And one thing Dr. Jeremiah acknowledged was how church members, you have some who after working 30, 40, 50 hours a week will still serve and serve at a point of excellence. This is what this church was like. They served because they had a heart to serve. It was a determined church. The word patience is mentioned twice in referring to this church. Patience as in serving and patience as in suffering. They stood on the word of God and therefore they were hated. They had a standard and they would not sway from that standard. Now let's think about it today. It's all a matter of interpretation. And when you get a Christian who stands on the word, they are quote unquote hated. We're ostracized. We're called bigots. We are called old fashioned and narrow minded. You know, the world is opening up. The world is becoming progressive. The world is becoming more liberal. When you stand on the word of God, you bear the brunt of people's anger hatred, their intolerance of your standing on the word. Well, this is what the church of Ephesus was like. They, they stood on the word. They were a disciplined church. They were a church that would not bear those who are evil. They would not allow those who spoke of apostolic succession, which was the thought that even though they may not have known the actual apostles, 
if the apostles had touched someone and that person touched them, then they would receive the spirit of that apostle on them and it would go down the line. So you had a lot of uh, people who thought that they were a lot more uh, privileged spiritually than they actually were, who felt that they could come and speak to the people. We had a little brief discussion about the concept of grave soaking, where people will go and lay on the top of graves of famous people or people of some type of strength and soak up their spirit and then walk around saying that they have this person's spirit. It's kind of that same concept. But when the apostles died, they died. They left the word of God for us to gain our strength from, not from some type of passing on of their spirit. Well, the Ephesian church would not stand for that. They tested those that came to minister to ensure that they were ministering correctly. And this is what Paul had taught them. This is what the disciples and the apostles did in the early days of the church. They had spent time with Christ and now they were spreading the gospel to the churches in that area, that region of the world. They were a discerning church, yep. They would not allow false teachers. We learned about the Nicolaitans. Oh, Dr. Jeremiah teaches that there's the teaching of the separation of the clergy and the laity to the point of a power move that the clergy had this power over the laity, the clergy being the, the priests and the, the higher ups and the the laity being the regular people. And there was this domineering of the clergy over the laity, where we are all priests uh, in Christ. There are those who are leaders, but we are not to worship them. Our pastors, we're not to worship them, bow down to them and kiss their hands and and you know, have have some type of apostolic blessing that we can't live without. We all, there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. We are not supposed to worship our pastors. Our pastors are our shepherds. They are our leaders. And as was discussed tonight, when we all are seeking after the word of God, the word of God is going to put us in perfect order. Yes, he has given some to be pastors. That's part of that fivefold blessing of the church, the fivefold gifts of the church. Not everybody is, is a pastor, but when we are seeking after the Lord, we will honor our pastors. And our pastors will honor God. And when we're all seeking after God, all those that order comes into play. It's put into proper order by the Lord. We're not supposed to worship our pastors or our leaders. We're not supposed to do that. But the Nicolaitans felt that there was this power that they had to have over the laity, the leaders. And it's not about power. It's about love. It's about working together in love. Is there discipline? Yes. 
Is there discernment? Yes. Are there standards? Yes. Is the pastor responsible for setting those standards? Yes. But when we're all seeking after the Lord, even when we go wrong, even when we're disciplined for going wrong, there should be that two-way street where we can still walk together. There has to be a leader. You can't have a million leaders and one follower. That's not how it works. There has to be a leader. And so here, the Ephesians in this church would not tolerate that type of behavior. So we learned that the church at Ephesus was a dynamic church, a dedicated church, a determined church, a disciplined church, and a discerning church. Five-star church. And as Dr. Jeremiah said, what pastor would not want to have that type of church? Had you ever heard of the Church of Ephesus that way? I know before I did this study, it was never, ever put to me this way. Unfortunately, there is a but, or in some translations, there is a nevertheless. They had all those qualities going for them. You know any people like that? They're dynamic, dedicated, determined, disciplined, and discerning. You wish it would stop right there, but there's a but. Nevertheless, the Lord says that he had something against them, that they had lost their first love. You know what happens is that you can get so caught up in being dynamic and dedicated and determined and disciplined and discerning, you can run right over people trying to do all of that and miss the people. And that's what happened with them. As I wrote here, they lost their excitement with and devotion to God. The honeymoon is over. You've got to be careful that that never happens. Don't ever get used to the presence of God, the joy of the Lord, even the work of the Lord. You've got to seek after him with your whole heart every day. Get into his word. Hear his voice. See him move. And you will be excited every single day. You know, when we get together every week to do this lesson, the excitement, because we're doing it on Zoom, the excitement in the room as people join. I mean, we're supposed to start at 6.30. I can open that room and there are people sitting there just waiting prior to the start time. It's an exciting study. It's not easy. It's going to get pretty heavy. We're only on lesson five, and we have 43 lessons in total. But every time we come, there's anticipation. There's building from the last lessons. And what are we going to learn tonight that's going to tie it all up together as we go along? Don't ever lose your joy for serving God. Don't ever lose it. But this is what happened with the church at Ephesus. They lost their first love. They forgot what it was like to serve the Lord with gladness. And so we learned that even though the Lord pointed out what went wrong, he never fails to provide a solution. It's our choice again. It's always about choice as to whether we are going to find our way back to the Lord or if we're gonna keep going wrong. God is never, ever going to condemn anyone to hell without their having given permission. 
God is going to, he is going to shout it from the rooftops wherever. This is what's wrong. This is how you can get it right or else. And there's an or else. The or else is if you don't get it right, church in Ephesus, I'm going to remove your candlestick from out of its place. I'm going to remove your church from my purpose. And we've seen a lot of churches head down that path where they've sought their own glory, where they've gotten caught up in themselves and they have fallen apart. We must never, ever get to that state. It's always about God's word. It's always about Jesus Christ. Those are the things that come first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So when you have a pastor that's seeking after God, when you have a congregation that's seeking after God, not even seeking after themselves, not even necessarily seeking a solution to my life's problems. Seek after God first. Give yourself over to him and watch what he can do with your life. But if you're going into it just to get something out of it, then you've missed it. It's about God first. I promise you, I guarantee you, if you get that right, it's amazing what God will show you. And you will be forever excited about God in your life. So he gives the church at Ephesus three things to do in order to right their wrong in having lost their first love. And he actually likens it to a marriage that's lost the love. The light has gone out. It's dimmed. The first thing to do is to remember. Go back to the beginning. Do the first works. Now he likens that to husband and wife who the flame is dying. But when they go back to remember what it was like when they were first attracted to one another, when they were dating, he brought her flowers. She cooked food for him. They went for walks. They did those things that really lit that flame. Go back and do them again. Same thing here. Remember when you were first saved, your fervor, your excitement. Do those things again. How you used to worship God. How you used to read the Bible. Pray how you used to tell others about the Lord. Start to do those things again. Actions don't follow feelings. Feelings follow actions. That's what we heard tonight. So you may not necessarily feel like it. Do it anyway. If you want the Lord in your life like he used to, do those things anyway. The feelings will follow. Keep doing them. Keep doing them. Don't stop the feelings will follow. And so will the results. And then repent. So we had remember, first works, and then repent. Repent doesn't just mean to change your mind. It means change your mind, turn 180, and go in the opposite direction of where you're headed right now, spiritually. If you know deep down inside that you're headed down the wrong path, stop, repent, Turn 180, not 360, because you'll wind up going back in that direction. 180, turn and walk away. 
Because those issues, Satan is not going to leave you alone, you know. Particularly when you decide you want to go back to the Lord. Oh, you've just become a target. So the old man is, is usually right over your shoulder. But you keep walking away from him, away from her. Go back to God. Don't just stand there. You've got to move. So remember the first works. Go back to what you used to do. Make up your mind to turn from those things that have taken you away from the Lord and walk away from them. And third, to repeat, repeat. Become a new believer all over again. That's the key. So for Ephesus, that's what they had to do. Remember, repent, and repeat. Well, what about you? Let's talk about that. Have you lost your fervor for the Lord? Is it just a Sunday thing or even a Saturday thing? Is it just something that you do because you've always done it? Do you even still go to church? Have you lost that joy? You can get it back. Remember, repent, and repeat. So I hope this has helped a little bit. It's just a brief summary of our study that we've done, Escape the Coming Night. If you're interested in being a part of it, please reach out to us. Our email address is swim at logic.bm. Let us know if you'd like to be a part of the Escape the Coming Night studies. Our admin team will be in touch with you to let you know how you can be a part. You can order the study books. I have one right here. There's four of them. And we're in volume one right now doing the lessons. And then you sign up to join our Zoom lessons Thursday evenings, 6.30 p.m. Bermuda time, and become a part of a really, really exciting and life-changing study series. So that's it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope that it's giving you a little interest in the book of Revelation. It'll change your life, honestly. So on behalf of Reverend Dr. Maria A. Seaman of Shekinah Worship Center International Ministries, Shekinah Worship Center Bermuda. Again, this is Superintendent Janice Battersby saying good night, blessings abound. <music>